So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle-earth. If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Okay, so here we are for chapter 19. Baron and Luthien. Woohoo! Finally. Of Baron and Luthien. The first of the three big tales. Yeah, this was a big tale. Oh my god, it was so long. It was. It was. It was just, we've been hearing about it for so long and we finally got it. Yep. Actually, I noticed that during the... I wonder if that was done on purpose because... From a previous chapter, we know that Baron is going to die and come back. So he has like five near-death experiences. And you're like, is this the one? No. Nope. Right. Exactly. Is this the... <laughs> no. But we can I mean, it's, get to that. It's great storytelling, but yeah. yeah. Um, does one of you want to take characters? Yeah, I, I wrote them, so I'll, I'll go for it. All right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we'll get that... that bookkeeping stuff out of the way first we have way easier set of characters than we did in the last chapter oh jesus yes we do yes seriously we have three whole men and two of them die right away (laughs) that's the way it should be (laughs) exactly so um bear here is a descendant of bayor who is one of the original men who came and he is most important for being Baron's father, but his second bit of importance is that he saved Finrod, the king of the Noldor's life, and, you know, that that got him some, some good karma. Um, Baron is his son, the Baron of the chapter, in case you didn't pay attention to that. And he is literally a Disney princess. He yeah. collects animal friends, and they love him and help him. They do his chores. Pretty much. (laughs) Um, And then there's this other guy in Bear Here's group of outlaws that had previously just gotten run through as a rapid set of names. He is Gorlim, and he he pretty much exists to, you know, betray them and let them all die. But he's there. Baron is who to worry about. And then over in the blocked off magic forest of Doriath, we have Thingol, who is the king of the Sindar, and he's like isolationist policy to the max. He is married to Melian, who is a Maya, and no one ever listens to her, even though she says really good things. And is <laughs> but- literally called Melian the Wise. <laughs> yeah. Yes, called Melian the Wise. Not that you could tell it from the plot. Um, and for some reason, she is wise. Kinda... Sorry, she is well, wise. Yes, Nobody she is listens. wise. Just, yeah. <laughs> She's Cassandra and wise. Yeah. Um, but you know, despite the fact that Thingol never listens to Melian, they did have a, a daughter together, and she is Luthien, the other half of our title. And she's another Disney princess. More on her for this entire episode. 
There's another elf hanging out in Doriath whose name is... Are we going Daron or Dayron or... Whatever feels right in your heart. Yeah. I like calling him Darren because that's a really normal sounding name and yeah. he's an asshole. So he shouldn't sound all beautiful and elfish. Yeah, my notes here are literally, he's an entitled dude bro minstrel. <laughs> he has a crush on Luthien and acts like mediocre white dudes do when they have a crush on someone who doesn't like them back. Yeah. He's the worst. Really bitter about the friend zone. Mm-hmm. So we also have, often the rest of the uh, the land, <laughs> we have Finrod, who is the king of the Noldor now. He was saved by Barahir in battle, and so he pretty much owes a debt to the family line, a.k.a. Baron. Uh, Caligorm and Kurufin are two sons of Feanor. They're both assholes. The <laughs> I noted that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They are very Feanorian in this chapter, um, making terrible decisions and messing. I honestly up. think they're worse than Feanor. Yeah, I mean, at least he made cool stuff. They just hide. But anyway, that's the point. They are currently living with Finrod because they're hiding away and not not fighting. Um. Kelligorm does, however, have our first good boy of the chapter. He has a really <laughs> awesome dog named Huan. And Huan is a dog that is actually from Valinor. He's a gift from Orome, who is the Vala of hunting monsters and stuff. So basically a really awesome hunting dog who is cool. Um, then small side character is Oradreth, who is Finrod's brother, um, another son of Finar Finn, and he basically gets put in charge when Finrod leaves to be helpful. Uh, as far as the big bad dudes, we have number one big bad dude, Morgoth. Uh, he, remember, has the Silmarils in the crown. We didn't forget about them. <laughs> the book is the Silmarillion. We <laughs> get to deal with the Silmarils again. Uh, his second in command is Sauron, who is um, also evil and Lord of the Werewolves. And we get a couple more um, good boys. They're they're on the side of evil, but they're still good boys. Oh. Uh, what? They're all good dogs, Brent. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't, I didn't mean true. to Brent the conversation. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I thought we'd have to get farther in the episode before I got to pull out that line. <laughs> I mean, I kind of disagree. Okay, we we'll talk about it later. Carry on. They're they're terrible boys. They they eat stuff. But Drogluin is the lord and sire of the werewolves, and um, Karkaroth is sorry Karkaroth the Red Maw, also known as Anfauglier the Jaws of Thirst. <laughs> Very epic good boy, uh, is another werewolf who was literally hand-fed by Morgoth, so basically Morgoth's evil lapdog. Oh man, I hope he looks like a chihuahua. <laughs> really fearsome chihuahua, except like yeah. he got fed with all this evil stuff until he's too big to fit through doors. It's very sad. Yeah, poor boy. He just wants to be loved. He didn't ask for this life. This is what I'm saying. Um, and then as our final character, I just want to remind everyone, uh, as we've already talked about, the foretelling of uh, 
Baron dying and coming back. Mandos is the Vala of the Halls of the Dead and general speaker of doom. Doom. There's a lot of doom in this chapter. People get everyone kept- has a doom. Well, this was the doom they were foreshadowing for. Yeah, people get caught up in other people's dooms. It's like contagious doom. <laughs> Man- Mandos finally gets to have a job again. Not just well, the whole I'm like sure- stewarding the halls of the dead job, but like the fun part. The fun part. I was going to say, I'm sure he's been busy what with the battles and the dying. <laughs> he had a very calm beginning of his life, and now it's it's just death from here on out. For I him. know, like that poor guy. Like I know humans were going to come along and die, but he was like, "Man, we've got all these great people. It's a wonderful world. I got the easiest job here." And nope. Anyway, so some plot happens. Um, oh god. Do you want to, Emmy, do you want to do just the short, like, two-paragraph summary that I did here? Oh, I'll mention, we're going to do this chapter a little differently, and we're, if this works, we're probably going to do the remaining chapters like this, um, in that we're going to give you a short, one, maybe two-paragraph summary, and then do a long, detailed summary and discuss as we get to the points, now that it's more plot-heavy and less... This army moved over here, and this army moved over here, and everybody was named this. Because, man, there is a lot to unpack in this chapter. So, um, the overarching eagle-eye view of Baron and Luthien is that Baron meets Luthien, and they fall in love. Um, And Luthien's father is Thingol, who's, you know, racist. He hates men. So he doesn't believe that Baron is worthy of his daughter and is really upset that they've already gotten together. And he tells Baron that, sure, you can have my daughter's hand if you bring me a Silmaril, which he knows for a fact can't be done because the Silmarils are, you know, cursed by the gods. But Baron is like, well, if you're foolish enough to give away someone as precious as Luthien for a simple jewel, I will go and get this jewel. Um, So he leaves and Luthien ends up following him, which is definitely not what her father had in mind. Um, they join forces with a Meyer hound that we talked about earlier, Huan, and they end up working together to sneak into Angband, uh, defeat Sauron, trick the Silmaril uh, into coming with them, basically. And upon escaping back to Doriath, Huan and Baron get mortally wounded by a werewolf um, and, and pass away. So Luthien goes after Baron into the halls of Mandos, and makes Mandos feel so bad about, you know, Baron's fate to die that he ends up agreeing to send Baron back to Middle-earth as long as Luthien also goes as a mortal. And so she gives up her immortality and agrees. Yeah, that's basically the chapter. Love story for the ages. Yes. Um, <laughs> theft, werewolves. It's much cooler when we go into detail about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just some history before we get in to it. I wanted to mention that Tolkien did actually write a good chunk of the Lay of Lethian, which, like, a, an old-style uh, epic a poem. Yeah, a ballad. There we go. Thank you. Um, and you, you can find it if you want to read it. It ends just as Baron gets his hand bit off. So kind of right <laughs> in the climax. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, bits are, are read, or... or not read, sorry. Bits are performed by people in The Lord of the Rings. So we will actually read some of the Lay of Lethian when we get there. And 
It's interesting to keep in mind when going over the finer points of this that when Tolkien was 16, he fell in love uh, with a woman who was three years older than him. And his um, uh, pseudo-father basically forbade him from pursuing a romance with her for three years. He was not allowed any contact with her at all. And after three years of silence, he sent her a letter and was like, I still love you. Want to convert to Catholicism and marry me? <laughs> and wow. She <laughs> and she said yes, and then was kicked out of where she lived, because she lived in, like, a Protestant boarding house. <laughs> it's a really interesting story there, romance. And um, you can see where he definitely, like, drew on his own experiences for this one. Apparently. So when I was reading this, I was thinking that this, the ballad of the, the lay of Lithian is what Aragorn is singing in the marshes in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear you say that we're going to be reading it later. Not all of it, um, but there is sections of it in the Lord of the Rings. Um, we should also note that the chapter we read for the Silmarillion basically talks about itself as like, the short version of that, like the the lay, is held up as the the official, long, beautiful thing, long and beautiful accounting, and here we're just accounting it as part of the history. All right, so I'm gonna start us off with the opening line of the chapter, actually, which I think is really nice and sets it all up. So, among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that came down to us from the darkness of those days, there are yet some in which, amid weeping, there is joy, and under the shadow of death, light that endures. And of these histories, most fair, still in the ears of the elves, is the tale of Baron and Luthien. And I think this is hilarious, because that's basically like saying, this is our happy tale. This is what the one, when we're having a good time, we're drinking some wine, this is the one we all want to hear like at a girls night when you want to watch 13 going on 30 <laughs> that's that's what this is for the elves i mean they are messed up people they are indeed and i also anyway well I, all good love stories need more werewolves <laughs> yeah hand <laughs> eating <laughs> and uh, when i was uh, writing that down there i did notice that that last line um the history is blah, 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 the tale of Baron and Luthien kind of almost um, sounded like that line from Romeo and Juliet, where it's like, you know, that tale of Juliet and her Romeo or whatever, or never was there a tale of more woe than that of Juliet, Juliet and her, her Romeo. And I think that's interesting just because Tolkien was very vocal about how much he didn't like Shakespeare and how he sometimes set out to specifically do things that Shakespeare had done, but better. Which I think is so funny because Tolkien's like the opposite of Shakespeare. Like you're a literal Oxford academic yep, yep, professor. Yep. Like you are not writing dumb dick jokes for the like, Joe Schmo not appealing on the street. To the same audience. <laughs> yeah, <gasps> which is probably why he doesn't like him. But that's true. But I I do think that that's that's funny that he specifically tries to do Shakespeare better. More on that in The Lord of the Rings, I suppose. So yeah, from the last chapter, we have the outlaws, led by Barahir, still in Dorthonian. 
Uh, they ended up making a hidden camp, and one of Barahir's merry men, uh, Gorlim, while searching for his wife, who disappeared, is captured by Sauron and interrogated until he is convinced to tell where the outlaws are. Gorlim is then killed, and orcs set out for the outlaws. And the only note I had on this was that it's very similar to how the rangers live when in Aragorn's time, sort of alone and doing their ranger thing. And as... Not not the hockey team. Not the hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> and as the... Um, they're all uh, descendant of these people. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. It is. I just thought that it story is really sad. You know, it's a guy who's stuck in war and he doesn't know if his wife is dead or not and they trick him with an image of her and then he just, you know, he finally gives in and betrays them like wanting to be with her and they're like yep well she is dead after all so yeah so you will be like he was kind of stupid but also he was tortured for ages it, yeah it's before. Real sad. yeah yeah that was one of the i even hesitate to call it a shitty thing because it was so understandable you know but yeah you're you're a human and you're literally being tortured by morgoth <laughs> and like you had been eh. yeah war sucks Yep. Um, so Baron happened to not be at the camp uh, during when when the orcs were sent to it, and the dead Gorlam sends Baron a dream to warn him of what's happening. So Baron rushes back, but is too late. He then sets out against the orcs, um, but it's like a huge grouping of them, so he doesn't kill them all. But he does s- sort of sneak in or jump in, kill the captain, and take back his father's ring that had been taken with the entire hand they had taken the entire hand of his father but he he took the ring back let it be noted hand number one yeah i mean if we're going with the whole book this is like hand number three i'm pretty sure but well for the chapter yeah um and it was that was of course the ring given to him by finrod so that's important uh and he now just continues on that same like outlaw life for four years he gives up eating meat, and all the animals become his friend. So this is during his transformation into Disney Princess. Outlaw, Disney Princess. Mm-hmm. Baron. I mean, having seen The Lord of the Rings and looked at Aragorn, it it checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, more so than Legolas? Looks-wise? Mm-hmm. We'll have to get into that yeah, okay, debate okay, later. <laughs> um, so we we can do eras of Disney. Eras of Di- oh, okay, that's fair. So he is he causes such problems for Morgoth's armies that Morgoth puts a price on his head, which like that that's the exact line. A price is put on his head, something to rival whatever price is on Finrod's head. The price to rival a king. So yeah, but like, do the orcs want money? Would that? Who's 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 selling things? Who's he trying to, to appeal orcs? to? I am very. Con- what type of money do they have? Money. No, to be fair, it could be like a, a food stipend. <laughs> All right. Or maybe maybe some of that alcohol where he <laughs> or like a really pretty sword or like sorry orcs don't care about that but like a really good sword. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Barter system. The, the opportunity to chop the heads off of prisoners. All right, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm glad we worked this out, because I was literally like, what does an orc do with a bag full of gold? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So Morgoth then sends an army led by Sauron against this one dude. Sauron, the big bad of the Lord of the Rings. They can't find this dude. They can't get him. He needs an army to find and fight Baron. Anyways, that's so great. <laughs> that's enough. I'm really <laughs> glad actually this book was published after the Lord of the Rings, because if it was published before, you would really doubt Sauron as a big bad. <laughs> that's true. Um, so then Baron finally flees Dorthonian and enters everyone's favorite Mountains of Terror. I don't know why people keep going there. They're literally called the Mountains of Terror. Everybody knows it's where the giant spiders are. But whatever. He spends a lot of the time there and eventually, through great toil, finds a way out and into the woods of Doriath and literally just gets by Millian's girdle. I'm definitely picturing Snow White running through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting about that section was they specifically talk about how, you know, he went to the the spider hideouts um and it was so traumatic for him that he never talked about it ever again and yet somehow they know all about it for the story i they do i think he spent a lot of time there and they do glance over it and just sort of describe what anybody could find there i guess but yeah it is interesting <laughs> and then he shows up in doriath all gray and dark yeah whatever for a great doom lay upon him. I think that might be our doom. first doom of the chapter. There's a lot of doom in this chapter. It might be. A lot of doom. Um, and then he sees Luthien, who's dancing, I think, or just in the woods. I forget. And yeah, she maybe is, both. She's you never dancing. know. Yeah. Like, th and like Thingle before him, he is sort of in a trance when he sees her, but she doesn't see him at first. And she sort of comes and goes, and he sort of searches around for her for months. And eventually, she reappears and out-Disney princesses him by singing and dancing. And he calls after her by calling her Tenuviel, which means Nightingale. Um, that's important to remember for, like, a year from now, when we're on Lord of the Rings. Maybe. Actually, I think <laughs> that's in the appendices of Lord of the Rings, so, like... A long time from now. They finally like, meet, whoa. and she is ensnared in his doom and loves him. I'm pretty sure that's literally how it was described. Like, she's upset about it, but love, man. So then they spend some months sneaking around in Doria, uh, presumably having lots of forest sex, right? <laughs> Which just sucks. Yes. I would assume so. Right. Um, it is a magic forest. So you think, like, comfortable bedding would just appear? Conveniently laid They're moths? They're both Disney princesses. It probably does. That's a good point, actually. They are both Disney princesses. And, like, birds lay, let down their feathers so that they can have a nice feather bed. And and it is important to remember that Luthien is also half Maya, so she's pretty powerful. Which, that's important to remember for, like, the rest of the chapter. She can do some shit. <laughs> yep. Um so then the jealous Darren, the minstrel, uh sees them and rats them out to Thingle, who isn't happy because you're supposed to ask his permission before you have forest sex with his daughter. Patriarchy. Yeah. His opinion or her opinion, sorry, doesn't matter at all. Um 
So I think I'll talk to Luthien about her having an affair with this dirty mortal. And before she says anything, she gets Thingle to promise not to kill Baron, which is just a shitty thing to have to have a conversation with your dad about. Like, I'll introduce you to my boyfriend, but first you have to promise not to kill him. <laughs> That's different. Um, so he promises yeah. and tries to have Baron brought before him as a prisoner, but Luthien goes to get him first and brings him in as a guest which I think is a good power play on her part. So then... So, Baron and Thingle talk and Luthien, about Luthien, as if she isn't there and her opinion doesn't matter. More so Thingle, but Baron kind of buys into the whole thing. Um, eventually, Thingle kind of attacks Baron's good character, which is too much for him, and Baron takes capital offense and has a really good speech about how noble he is and shows off the Ring of Barahir, here, which was made in Valinor, and therefore super cool. Melian speaks wisdom to Thingol, and he ignores it because he cannot stand the idea of his daughter having agency. You could perhaps read into There's the subtext. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, read into the uh, subtext that loving a mortal would kill Luthien eventually if if he if Baron dies, which he will, and Luthien would die the the death of sadness. Um, and maybe, and he doesn't want that to happen, but none of this is in the text. And it's just something I assume to make Thingle a slightly better dude. But do what you will. Um, so Thingle, we're getting, regretting his promise to not kill Baron because that's what one does to their daughter's boyfriends, uh, sets him the task of retrieving a Silmaril, and then he will grant Baron the hand of his daughter. Baron makes a quip about how easy that'll be and sets off. Doom. <laughs> Which, uh, good old Baron. Melian. I mean, there are like literally two paragraphs here all about how like Thingol, who had nothing to do with the Silmarils or the Kinslaying or the Doom, has like just walked himself right into it. Yeah. I don't understand why you would do that. Like, you've seen what happens. He, they must know about the curse around the Silmarils and everything, but mm -hmm. now he brings it upon himself, and yep. guess what? Thingle isn't in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, quote, thus he wrought the doom of Doriath. Mm -hmm. so, and, and Melian sitting next to him, just like face palming. Yeah. I like to think that they eventually end up I honestly don't remember where they end up. Either way, I like to think she divorces him. <laughs> or, like, it's just all I'm going to go back to being mostly spirit. Bye. Yeah. Um, so, Thingol kind of backtracks and says that he would never sell his daughter, but he just wants Baron to die. So, it's fine because Luthien will definitely forgive him for that. Yep. And, totally. And then the people of Doriath are sad because Luthien never sings within the woods again. So, Baron heads out for Nargothrond, realizing that maybe attacking Ang Angband on his own, not such a good idea, and uses his father's relationship with Finrod to get Finrod to come and help him. Kelegorm and Kurufin, which I don't think I spelled right once in these notes, um, are <laughs> living in Nargothrond and are obviously very against Baron going after a Silmaril, as they are sons of Feanor, 
even though they aren't interested in going after the Cimarils themselves, despite their oath, so they're just being piss babies. Um, but they don't stop them from going and use that as an opportunity to gain power in Nardathron since Finrod is gone. Finrod's brother Oradreth is left in charge, but again, doesn't really have sway with the people of Nardathrond the way Kelgorm and Kurufin do. And yeah, I noticed that too. Some family trees do say that Oradreth is Finrod's nephew, and some say they're his brother. I could have sworn the last chapter said he was his nephew, but I couldn't find it when I was trying to look it up. So we don't really know. Yeah, my family tree said brother because I checked it. Yeah, family trees in the book say brother, so we're going to go with brother. I mean, and the chapter said brother. Yeah. This one Sounds fair. But if you look up some information online, that sometimes says nephew. This might be like a case of the Silmarillion versus the Lost Tales versus something, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But since we're yeah we're in the Silmarillion, we're going to go with brother. Um, Baron and Finrod and like 10 other elves head towards Eggband. They kill some orcs and disguise themselves as orcs. And they pass by Sauron in Minas Tirith on his island who captures them because they didn't check in, as all the orcs are supposed to do. <laughs> Daddy Sauron so I love it, worries that it's not, they, about his they orcs. Finally had, right, they finally had a really good idea. Like, yes, excellent job with the subterfuge here. And nope, didn't go check in. <laughs> they were really unprepared for how micromanaging Sauron right? actually is. It's time for your quarterly review. <laughs> They're supposed to show up in his throne room and tell him everything that they did while they were gone. Whoops. You know, see, I think they should have contrived to, like, mock turn in Baron and get that bounty. Could have made some real bank. They could have had some good orc juice. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, anyways, Sauron comes. (laughs) Sauron and Finrod have a sing-off? It's basically a rap battle. Yeah. Yeah. Acapella pitch perfect. Yeah. They have some sort of, they sing at each other about magic and attacking, and then the other one sings about magic and defending. And it works when you read it. Describing it is very strange. So let's move on. No, it, it doesn't really work when you're reading it either. You're like, how do they think this is going to end? What are they trying to do here? It's one of the many reasons I don't think The Silmarillion would ever work as a movie or a TV show. <laughs> they have a battle of song. Anna Kendrick yeah. pops in to give them instructions. Um, <laughs> God, it's awful. Uh, so surprisingly to me, Finrod lost the sing-off. I suspect it's because he didn't have the Disney princess who's in his group join in. Mm-hmm. Probably needed some backup yeah. singers. Right? Gotta get that sick harmony. Exactly. I bet those orcs can't harmonize, and neither can the wolves. (laughs) They only howl. (laughs) Oh my god, that puts me in mind of like a a be prepared type of situation happening on Sauron's side. (laughs) Yes! Okay, that's a good song, though. That song is full of puns. (laughs) I suspect Sauron is pretty punny. I mean, he ends up as an eyeball for a good long time. That must, that must lend itself to a lot of He has nothing to do but come up with puns. <laughs> All right. So meanwhile, Luthien talks to Melian, her mother, 
um, who tells her... Sorry, did we actually mention that they all get thrown in a pit? No, I forgot that, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. He loses <laughs> the sing-off, loses the and they get chucked in a pit full of darkness. And then um, Sauron wants to know where they were going and who they are and why they were going there, um, but nobody will speak. So he sends a wolf to them every now and then to eat one of and them. He, he eats a companion. Doesn't, the companion doesn't even get a name, but he eats one of them, and none of them ever betray their master. So that keeps happening. Yeah, there's lots of eating in this chapter, and not in a good, here's a block of cheese way. Hands. Anyways. We'll get there. So Luthien talks to Melian, who tells her Baron's fate of being thrown in the pit, which she knows somehow. Uh, because she knows. Yeah, because she knows. She is the wise. She's wise. Luthien decides to go after him, um, but the stupid minstrel Darren man betrays her again, and she is locked in a treehouse and is quite literally a Disney princess here. Uh, Rapunzel, because she grows out her hair until it is long enough to weave into a dark cloak that can magically put folks to sleep, and then she uses some other hair to weave into a rope to climb down from her treehouse that she was locked in. Also, uh, uh, into a robe that hid her beauty or whatever. I think that was part of the cloak, wasn't it? Maybe not? Yes. Wait. Okay, she did. So three, oh, three things can happen. Conf- we're the confused. robe can put the yes. cloak can put people to sleep, and she yes. it sort of like hides her in darkness. So she yes, kind of similar to the elven cloaks in Lord of the Rings. She can kind of hide. Yes, yeah, that's how it is. Sorry, I missed you describing it as a cloak before. And oh, okay, I think that was just my bad. Gotcha. But then yeah, she also like just yeah she the rope put them to sleep too. So she pretty much just dangles it over like over them like let's let's tickle your nose until you fall asleep it felt very much like playing with my cats with this bit of string <laughs> do you think her hair does that like you think if people get too close to like the hair in her head that's a good question that... see that's a plot hole that we'll have to, to be ask Baron. yeah <laughs> i was gonna say that might have put a damper on all their forest sex say did they sleep together or sleep together so on her way to Doriath, she runs into none other than the Wonder Brothers, Keligorm and Kurufin, who are out hunting with their great hound, Huan, who is a Maiar. Um, Keligorm lies to her and gets her to come back to Nargathon with them, where they lock her up with some plan to force Thingol into making her marry Keligorm. They're real shitheads. Yep. Huan feels bad about his part in this, because uh, it was him who, like, found her when her cloak was hiding her, because he's a a hunting hound. He's a good boy. Dog smell things. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah he's a very good boy. Um, so he visits Luthien in her captivity and eventually helps her escape and lets her ride him and they go off after Baron. I didn't put in anything about the prophecy with Huan because I don't think it's important. We can skip right? it. Yeah, okay. We've got a lot of things to cover. <laughs> I thought in my head Huan has like the same sort of disposition as like Ferenzi in Harry Potter because they talk about how he suffers to carry her on his back and how it's beneath his dignity, but he feels like he owes it to her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just wondering what the snobby dog is like. Very cute. I think when they're traveling together too, they become friends. 
So after a while, he's like, cool with it. It's not beneath his dignity. He's just like, yeah, this will keep my friends safe. She probably treats him better, too. Yeah. Huon is such a... Oh, my God. I've spelled his name wrong every single time, too. But to be fair, it is very similar to Huor, who is spelled with an O, but whatever. Yeah. Wait. Huor? Is that a name? That's a name, right? Oh, fuck it. I think so. So... One of those endless humans. Yeah. (laughs) So back in the pit... um. Everybody's gone except for Finrod and Baron. They've all been eaten by a wolf. So that wolf comes back to eat Baron, but Finrod uses the last of his strength to fight and kill it, but dies in the process in a pit with a human. So I'm sad that he's gone, even though sometimes I didn't like him, but he died well. Right? Right. Yep. Better than Feanor. Lost an epic rap battle strangled a wolf i mean i can't judge someone for losing an epic rap battle i wouldn't even be able to like enter one no so oh yeah no i would forfeit before that ever happened but still man if you're gonna show up you gotta show up to win (laughs) (laughs) so uh luthien and huon arrive and she and baron take a page out of majors and fingen's book and play a musical marco polo they really do only for people in love (laughs) (laughs) okay fine yes let it go never um sauron hears her and sends wolves after her who on kills all of them eventually sauron comes out transformed into a wolf himself himself and fight well first he sends off his his top dog Who's a good dog. Right. Sorry, I didn't realize uh, Rachel had noted every single wolf in this chapter. (laughs) I did. What was this dog's name? This was Draugluin. Oh, okay. He's he's the lord and sire of the werewolves. And and Sauron's best dog. Rachel knows what's important to us. Right, I gotcha. I'm sorry. So, drag whatever. And this one doesn't die. This one goes back to say... Ah, and then dies. <laughs> he goes back to his master and then dies yeah. with him. Oh, that's nice. I don't remember that. I guess the wolves weren't that yeah. important to me. There were a lot of wolves in right? this chapter. It's like his his might was great, and the battle of Huan and Draugluin was long and fierce. Yet at length, Draugluin escaped, and fleeing back to the tower, he died before Sauron's feet. And as he died, he told his master, Huan is there. Are you crying? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. It's touching. It is good. It is good. And it's nice that he had a good a good death. No. Good death. I am putting a nice dash of tenderness in my voice for this good dog. Um so yeah, then Sauron transforms himself into a wolf and goes after Huan. They fight. Huan pins him down and he's trying to like transform into anything and everything in order to get away. But then Luthien, the badass, comes up and tells Sauron to be gone from there and never come back and forfeit his tower to her. And it's amazing. And I'm going to look up the actual line. Just give me a moment here. If somebody's got it, you can read it. I don't got Uh, it. That, um, let's see. Ere his false spirit left its dark house, Luthien came to him and said that he should be stripped of his raiment of flesh and his ghost be sent quaking back to Morgoth. And she said, 
There everlastingly thy naked self shall endure the torment of his scorn, pierced by his eyes, unless thou yield to me the mastery of thy tower. I love that. Like, get gone, I'm taking your house. Which, yep. which <laughs> they also, like, she also helped trick him into, like, getting Huan to have a good grip on him. Yeah. Uh, like, she, like, like Huan, like, leaps out of the way and she tricks a, a Sauron into then, getting close enough to get a bit of the sleep of the cloak on him and then Huan jumps on it like yeah yeah so Sauron sprang upon Luthien and she swooned before the menace of the fell spirit in his eyes and the foul vapor of his breath but even as he came falling she cast a fold of her dark cloak before his eyes and he stumbled for a fleeting drowsiness came upon him then Huan sprang Ah, mm-hmm. I love the Sprang. friendship of Huan right. and Luthien. It's so good. He's such a good dog. Mm-hmm. I actually think it shows off what I believe to be the biggest theme of this chapter, in that when you put aside your differences and work together, you get shit done. <laughs> what a good lesson for all of us. Well, mostly for the Noldor, but whatever. Mostly for the Noldor. Okay. And, like, Finrod tried real hard. Yeah, he did. You know? Like, I think the sons of Finarfin, or the children, I mean, Galadriel included, were kind of, like, the farthest removed from the... From the shit? The shit? Yeah. And and he did. Like, you know, he held his oath, and I, I would probably not follow Baron on this fool's mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did have that good line back when they were still in Nargothrond, where he was like... They have oaths, and I have oaths, and we have these other oaths, and, well, I gotta stick to the oaths. <laughs> like, life gets hard. Yep. Um, where are we? Oh, okay, so they find Baron and bury Finrod's body on the island now that it's back. Because this is the island that Finrod's brother, brother slash nephew, brother, uh, Oradreth, was ruler of for some time with the Minas Tower. Tower, Minas Tirith Tower. That's I really like how you spelled prisoners here. <laughs> Look, sir. I actually don't have a defense. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Anyways. Spell um, it for the class. Uh, no. So they bury him there, and it's not like abandoning him on Sauron's land or anything, because Luthien just took that house back. Um, Baron and Luthien forget their quest for a bit and just hang out. And Huon goes back to Kelligorm because he is a faithful good hound. Uh, better than um, he deserves. Yeah. Oh, better than Kelligorm deserves. <laughs> yeah. Elves that were prisoners in Minas Tirith return to Nargothrond with the tale of what has happened and basically shame the sons of Feanor with it that a maiden and a mortal have, you know, set out to accomplish what they haven't and they're just sitting around and that um gives ordrith more power in nargathrond especially now that finrod's dead and he is actual king in nargathrond lord nargathrond whatever eventually baron and luthien return to the woods around doriath kelgorm and kurafin are there of course they are um with huan and they end up fighting because they're pissed at luthien and baron for showing them up Huan realizes that they've become assholes and switch sides. Switches sides. 
Baron still gets an arrow to the chest, but Luthien and Huan save him, and despite this, Baron still tries to sneak away and do the quest on his own and leaves Luthien and Huan behind, but they chase after him, and then they all set off for Aangban together. And yes, you need to talk about the leap. So, I guess, yeah. is, he, is he on one horse and then leaps to the other horse, or is he on the ground and then leaps to the other horse? He was on the ground and then... One of the sea boys, I can't remember which one, it's not actually important. He picks up Luthien and he tries to ride past Baron with her, and Baron just freaking leaps from the ground into the air onto the back of this horse, and he chucks uh, him from the horse. And apparently, it was so epic that they're talking about it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. The leap of Baron capitalized. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it was. And I'm wondering if this is what inspired Legolas when the wargs attacked their quest for Helm's Deep. He leaps onto the back of the horse that Gimli's riding. And I was like, well, I'm having flashbacks here. Or flash forwards. Mm -hmm. That's true. Maybe Time is weird. Maybe Legolas has studied the Leap of Baron. I'm just saying it sounds from the way it read, it sounded like the elves have been trying to do it ever since. I like it. It's like they all get drunk in the woods and it's like, <laughs> who's going to try it now? I mean, <laughs> I'm if I was drunk in the woods and there was a horse, I would try it right now. <laughs> so I would not, but I'd probably be afraid of horses. You never know. You'd be standing off to the side with the cell phone to dial 911 when I invariably got kicked in the face by a horse. I'd be the one with the cell phone out filming yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, on their way to Angband, um, they kill some baddies. I don't even remember what their names were. It's not important. They weren't that important. And then, using, I guess, Luthien's Meyer magic, they don't really go into why or how this happens, but they disguise themselves as the people they killed. So, Baron becomes a wolf, and Luthien becomes a giant bat. Like, uh, from a vampire. It was like a lady vampire. I I always just assumed that Tolkien used the word vampire to mean a giant bat, and not like Dracula. Look, we have werewolves that are mostly just wolves. I just hate the fact this word exists in this universe. I also kind of hate the fact werewolves exist in this universe, because I have like a clear delineation in my head between paranormal and high fantasy, and apparently those things are no longer so pure. <laughs> anyway, Baron is in fact literally just uh, 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 transformed into the Giant previous wolf. good dog, Dragluine. By yep. the way, oh, it is Dragluine. Oh, okay. It is. It is. It is Dragluine again. There's a reason she brought his name and into yeah. this chapter. And Luthien, Luthien becomes. I can say this. <laughs> the ring. The ring with L. Yeah, the ring with L. No, you said it better. The ring with L. Yeah, I like that one. Just, just throw, throw the emphasis at the end. The ring with muddle Elle. through the whole Elle. first part of it, and then get the no. the ring with ill. No, I don't like it. <laughs> Anyways, I like I like the sentence. <laughs> then howling under the moon, he leaped down the hill, and the bat wheeled and flittered above him. Because if I was uh, transformed into a werewolf, the very first thing I would do was howl at the moon. Yep. Okay. Seems legit. So eventually, they come to. Wards Angband and Huan knows that he won't be able to sneak in because he's not disguised. So he's like, I hope I see you guys again in Doriath. Peace out, bros. 
And then once they reach the gates, they find that they are guarded by another wolf whose name is Karkaroth and he is giant and scary and they're like, oh no, what will we do? But then Luthien puts him to sleep. A good boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so this is, this is the Chihuahua. This is the giant Chihuahua. Yep. So after that, they sneak down to the throne room, presumably, um, still disguised. Baron, as a wolf, pretends to curl up next to Morgoth's throne, gets gets comfy. I assume he gets himself a bone, bone? that he regrets <laughs> later, because who knows what that was. Um, Morgoth somehow immediately recognizes that Luthien's in disguise, but not Baron, and throws off her disguise. But then she... She lies, like, she doesn't the truth of who she is, but lies that she wants to kind of join him and uh, sing for him and be part of his crew. I feel like Luthien could have beat Sauron in a sing-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she does sing and puts everyone to sleep. I'm pretty sure, like, everyone within the building, not just the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, including Baron, who she then wakes up, and he transforms back into a man and uses... Well, he uses a knife, whatever, to cut a Silmaril out of Morgoth's crown. Yay, Silmaril! Um, and he can hold it without pain, so we know he is a good person. But then he Yay. momentarily gives in to the uh, craveability of the Silmarils and tries to get them all. I, arguably, I could see that he was like, we could just take them and be done with this war. But I don't think that's what it was. I think he was taken in by their capability yeah like why didn't why didn't you just take the whole crown yeah i don't know that was my question i feel like it's probably the way i'm imagining it is that it's on morgoth's head in such a way that his head like as an asleep person his head is like resting on it you know so that he couldn't take the whole crown that's that's how i'm imagining it but the iron crown rolled echoing from his head. All things were still... Sorry, I'm reading this like... Oh, did it fall off? It sounds like it. Oh, the iron crown rolled echoing from his head. Oh, shit. Like, suddenly he fell and lay prone upon the floors of hell. No, it might... It, Should have taken it, the whole thing. I think it's... Maybe it's like it fallen in his hand somehow, though, and from the... Oh, or maybe that's metaphorical iron claws. I don't know. He should have just taken the whole crown. Anyway, yeah. Should have taken the whole crown, one way or another. Impulsive. Oh, yeah, the iron crown rolled, echoing from his head. I was picturing it still on his head, and he was, like, lying on it. I don't know why they didn't take the whole crown then. Maybe it's heavy? It is huge. <laughs> like, it, it yeah. is very big. Um, Who knows? So, they have a Silmaril. Oh, um, when he goes to cut the second one, his knife breaks, and it makes a noise, and everybody begins to stir. So... They run the fuck. No, it literally, a shard, a shard hits Morgoth in the cheek. (laughs) What a terrible way to wake up. (laughs) Yeah. But then it doesn't sound like he kind of wakes up slowly. Like, if I was stabbed in the face in my sleep, I definitely would be out of bed and awake immediately. Maybe not if Luthien's Disney princess put you in a magical sleep. Mm -hmm. Like, that's one hell of a NyQuil drug session. Like, generally speaking, I don't think Morgoth sleeps because he's always in immense pain from, like, his battle with Ungoliant and his battle with Fingolfin. And holding the Silmarils. Fingolfin? 
I just One can't imagine being so deeply asleep that being stabbed in the face doesn't wake you up immediately. But yeah, F- Fingolfin stabbed him seven times. Yeah, okay, okay. And that was pretty recent. I know, but you know I can't keep these F-boys straight. No, no, no. I mean, like, in the timeline, it was oh, recent. Okay, yes. Recent, but then didn't four years pass in the story, so how... Well, recent for immortal beings. Yeah. There you go. Okay, okay. Look, we had, like, 500 years pass in the space of two paragraphs. <laughs> Um, so anyways, they're running out of there, but Karkaroth is awake, and they fight, and Karkaroth is like, I want that jewel, and in the great tradition of Tolkien, bites the hand off of Baron with the Silmaril. So Baron's hand and the Silmaril are inside Karkaroth now. Yep, yep. Baron, like, held it aloft to, like... This oh yeah, thing he sort of like eat you. tried to use it to fend him off, thinking that this holy stone of holiness. But instead, the dude swallowed it. Yep, with his hand. Yeah, and it's it's very it's very um, tear and uh, the Fenris wolf. Yeah, yeah, that's probably exactly what it's based on. I don't know why I didn't even think of that as Tolkien. I read it and I was like, "Yep, I've read this story." Yeah, as. Tolkien was big into that stuff. But yeah, and then, right, the the wolf pretty much goes crazy. There's the understatement of the century. Tolkien was big (laughs) into that stuff. Sorry, that's (laughs) what he made his career on. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, and then what happened? There's Venom from the wolf in Baron, and Luthien does that stupid thing where she, like, sucks it out. Don't do that in real life, folks. It's not a good thing. Just go to a hospital. (laughs) Call nine one one. Don't suck venom out. Doesn't work. Cut it off. Cut it off higher with your knife. No, no. Wait, he's already. No. He's already lost a hand. Oh, you're talking about in the story. Sorry, I was talking about real life there, and I was like, no, no, don't, no, don't, 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 don't <laughs> cut it off with a knife. But if you've already lost a hand and it's been poisoned, just cut it off a little higher. Poison doesn't travel that fast. Please call nine one one, or a poison control clinic. Right, because you know that number. Sorry, it's America. We we privatize everything. It's like on the back of every pill bottle, like poison control. Do people look at it? Oh, yeah. This was like uh, to be fair. Now Google exists. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I, yeah, America. The magic of is this one that you can throw up or not? Not if something's yep. bit you with venom. No. 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 We're just talking poisoning and first aid. This is the world's most useless sidetrack. <laughs> so, back the back. so there's back a Silmaril the inside of a wolf. Um, so wait, what happens now? There, Baron's lying on the ground because you know he's missing a hand, and there's some venom. And Luthien's doing what? Oh, Karkaroth goes crazy because there's a Silmaril inside of him, and obviously he's not a good person. So he uh, goes on like a murderous, violent rampage. Literally throughout all of Middle Earth, like not just in that area, he is moving around, killing everybody and destroying everything. Um, th- he's still a good boy. Yeah, keep in mind, giant Chihuahua, murderous rampage. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, Thorondor, king of the eagles, to the rescue. We didn't mention him in the characters, but he comes in and rescues uh, Luthien and Baron. It. I forgot about it. Yeah. Brings them. He has like man. half a mention in this. Yeah. Literally, he's just there to get them out of this, presumably because Tolkien... That's his only point. Yeah, 
He's so much more helpful in this than he is in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's true. Uh, presumably because Tolkien writes himself into some corners here. So then they get dropped off in the woods around Doriath, uh, Baron Hios, and once again, him and Luthien are just content to hang out in the woods. But they do eventually go back to Menegroth to see Thingol, and it is briefly mentioned that the asshole minstrel has exiled himself. Good, good, good. Good. So... Then Thingle is like, where's the, uh, where's the Silmaril, dude? And This is the best line in the entire thing. <laughs> you seemed really excited about it, so you take it. I was. Sorry. Um, it's just, like, the best workplace mm-hmm. since Eowyn saying, I am no man. It's, what if your quest and of your vow? But Baron, but Baron said, it is fulfilled. Even now, a Silmaril is in my hand. <laughs> Oh, God. It's so good. Tingle's probably sitting there so confused. And uh, Baron picks up two new names for himself, being Urkamian, which is one-handed, and um, something that starts with a C. I didn't write it down. Cam lost empty-handed. Yeah, which he gives himself that name directly after saying, it is in my hand. So I think that's funny. Yep. And um, so Thingol really appreciates the joke and likes Baron a lot better now. Like, I, I don't know what else changed his mind other than, oh, wait, this human's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of buddies now. And they go off to hunt Karkaroth together because A, murders Rampage, and B, Silmaril. Uh, Huon is there too. They had a big reunion in Doriath. Yay, Huon. The goodest of good boys. Uh, they find Karkaroth, who attacks Baron, and then Huon attacks and kills Karkaroth, but then both Huon and Baron die of their wounds. Uh, Luthien is all, fuck that, we're Disney princesses and deserve our happy ending, and goes to the halls of Mandos and sings a sad song so that Mandos feels pity for her and gives her a choice to go directly to Valinor, forget everything that's happened so she does not have to live with the bad memories, or he can restore Baron for the rest of his mortal life, and Luthien can live with him as a mortal. Luthien chooses that second option, and that's the end of the chapter. I think nobody was surprised except for the other immortals. Come on, y'all. Yeah. And that's the elves' definition of a happy story. Yes. That's their party story. Yep. Lots of death. I guess that's... I mean, sometimes I open a bottle of wine and... Stick on Return of the King. Eh, only one person dies. Return of the King is actually really goddamn happy compared to some of this shit. I guess you could make an argument that Frodo dies. That's, that's where you true. get the, the debate. Yeah, that's that's really getting into some shit there. Um, it's almost like the inverse of this, actually, because they talk about, so... Um, I flip to the end to look at it, and Luthien is described as, like, the the only one at that point to have like what actually died whatever we call this mortal death and not when elves die yeah done or experienced the the gift of Iluvatar to men right um and so and then you have the opposite you know Bilbo and Frodo just sort of sail off with the elves 
Yeah, which is actually interesting because when she's given her choice, it is specifically said that Baron cannot join her in Valinor. Sorry, I was reading the word Valimar and trying to say Valinor. Same thing, really, in this instance. Mm-hmm. Um, that Baron cannot join her in Valinor because he's a mortal dude. Oh, but that's because they can't deny him the gift of, of Iluvatar. But they can't to hobbits? I don't know. Whatever. There's a debate. Yeah. And then it's like, there's Valinor and there's Valinor. That's true. Valinor is sort of different when we get to the Third Age due to not being part of the world anymore and stuff. Anyway, let's not get into an endless philosophical debate here. We can save that for when we're there. <laughs> is there any- anyway. Any- anything else? I am sad that they couldn't bring back their good dude. Good dog. I know, that's good it. dude. <laughs> yeah, why couldn't they bring back their dog? That she went after Baron, but just left Huan. To be fair, I don't think he would have been in the Halls of Mandos. I suspect he would have gone back to wherever Louvatar is hanging out, because he's a Maiar. Yeah. That's true, but still. Yeah, it's sad. Should have been a warning. The dog dies in this one. Um, I'm surprised we got through this so fast, because a lot of shit happened. Yeah, that was a lot. Does it mention, like, what actually ends up happening to the Silmaril? I'm sure we'll get there, but... Absolutely, yes. Don't worry. Excellent. Because, like, it was it was still in the hand, in the belly, and then the, oh, the, I, belly, the hand disappeared, that, and they put it... They cut Karkaroth open and get the Silmaril out. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Well, they killed, the, they killed him before he could poop it out, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been so painful for him. <laughs> oh god anyways depends how big he is and how big silmarils are but but it hurts him anyways right like just touching it so it's going through True. your digestive tracts gotta be oh fuck that would be bad <laughs> like the worst kidney stone ever i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. that's one hell of a kidney stone <laughs> actually no if he's pooing it out that's a gallstone pretty sure no oh. Let's not get into actual medical debates again. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, they have a Silmaril that none of the Noldor know about, really. Yeah. As of yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kurafin and the other one, Keligorim. I almost like Caramir, which is like the combination of five names. Carry on. Right. Well, and there's there's that that. I kept wanting to insert the other son of Feanor in here, too. Um, Caranthir. Ah, Caranthir, yes. Because another C name, obviously. But anyway, they knew at least of the quest, and so they they saw the power of the Disney princesses and their magical dog. And I do like that the Noldor sailed across the ocean killed their friends, stole some boats, burned the boats, abandoned some other friends, made war on Morgoth, made more war on Morgoth, a bunch of them died, and still it was a Sindar who got a Silmaril first. (laughs) That's one hell of a doom. Yeah. Um, But yeah, all the fates of the Silmarils are made very well known to us. Don't worry. Here's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about this, but probably must have been the other or whatever but you know the um barahir's hand was taken with the ring on it Mm -hmm. but which hand of uh, baron's had 
had that ring's been through the some ring shit. On it. The ring has been through some shit. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't. No, no, no. That's that's the plot of a different set of books, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't say. I don't think. Uh, yeah. I'm picturing his left. I'm pretty sure it doesn't say in my head. Yeah. But for no. But real this is the reason. ring that eventually falls to Aragorn. As I don't know if we said that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um. That's why we're a little fixated on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like what 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 was the body situation when he came back? Like did he come back into his body or was he given a new body? Does he still not have a hand? I believe he still does not have a hand cuz he is called Baron okay. one-handed for quite some time. I say he does he keeps that name. But so hopefully the ring was on the other hand, but but anyway, it was just some nice some nice narrative parallels with hands. Yeah. And uh, we briefly mentioned in a previous episode that uh, Tolkien and his wife's grave do say Baron and Luthien on them. So this was his big romance that he wrote. Yeah. It does kind of say a lot about, you know, yeah. living in, well, him, but, you know, wartime and all of the horror that goes with it that, like... It would be a it will, slightly bittersweet story. I'm pretty sure after after the separation, when they finally did get married, he went off to World War One, like directly after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was looking at the listing for the the book version, um, the book of Baron and Luthien, talking about he like what he returning from France and the Battle of the Somme at the end of 1916. He wrote the tale in the following year. Of Baron and Luthien. Like. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, don't read the Wikipedia article if you don't want spoilers. <laughs> I love the depiction on the on the book uh, of Huan, who, like, if you don't realize it's a hound, your eyes would just glance over and think it's a horse. It just looks like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're like, oh, that's a dog, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is a dog. I, yeah, I have been looking at it, and... Did not even realize that it was, in fact, yeah. Of course it's not a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it looks an awful lot like a horse. It does. Like, not really, but like the shape of it, I guess. The, mm-hmm. I don't know. They couldn't conceive of a dog-shaped thing that Luthien would ride on. Was it? The proportions are off. Yeah. And the picture doesn't give much to her cloak. Like, it's just this black cape that she has on when this, like... The cloak that mm-hmm. put Karkaroth to sleep. Anyways, it should be more epic. Also not good riding posture, but... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we review, <laughs> we review covers now, apparently. Um, I don't know. I think we covered, we covered the good boys and the hands. And the doom. And the major plot points. And the doom. And our and feelings good, about good them. Joke. <laughs> the good good joke and i think that's it i will uh oh just a quick thing that i think is interesting and that uh fingal and melian had literally the shortest chapter with their courtship and mm-hmm. then baron and luthien have the second longest chapter in the book i believe for theirs even though the beginning of it is so similar to fingal and melian mm-hmm. 
It's because they don't stick themselves in a forest all alone, and they actually go all over. I just thought that was funny. Yep. So, next week, homework, chapter 20 of the Fifth Battle, Nirnath Arnoid So close. I made that noise up. (laughs) Arnoidiad? Sure. Well, if we're going with the O-E being like an umlaut sound, it would be Arnudiad. But who knows? Nirnath Arnudiad. 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 Chapter 20. Read chapter 20. We're reading chapter 20. Anyways. Hopefully by next week we'll have figured out how to commit to a pronunciation. Maybe. Nope, we're going to stick with the fifth battle. And now that we're past my favorite chapter, it's all downhill from here. God. Caitlin. Come on. Well, to be fair, this is their happy story from this war. So so it really is all downhill from here. Yeah. Uh, More doom. Everybody loves a good doom. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to us about this chapter, some good, good boys, or having your hand bit off, uh, you can. Uh, we're on Twitter at to read Tolkien, or you can email us at want to read Tolkien at gmail.com. And Please send us pictures of your good boys, whether they're eating your hand or not. <laughs> In fact, preferably not. Um, if you wanted to leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that would be fabulous. And thank you so much for listening. I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I'm Emmy. See you next week. Bye. Bye.